The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Next on Life Today. My freedom came out of something that nearly killed me. Nearly killed me. Have you had a near killing? Well, let there be a raising. Let there be a raising. Because out of that very thing, would some of us not say that out of that thing that nearly killed us, glory be to God, because a new woman came forth. Join International Bible teacher Beth Moore as we spend Wednesdays in the Word. Today, I'm James Robinson, Betty and I are thrilled to share this time with you. It is such an honor to be able to literally, gently, I think sometimes I wish I could make it a, a loud knock, but to gently knock on the door of virtually every home in the civilized world and say, listen, we want to see your life blessed beyond anything you even ever imagined. I mean, beyond your dreams. And I know so often you can say, James, you don't even understand where we've been. Well, Betty and I have just been through the holiday season and the new year. And how, how, what do you think? We, we lost our youngest daughter three days after Christmas two years ago. And then on the second, when we had her funeral, we were sitting with her children this year. And we were looking at the seeds sown by mom in those children and we beheld the glory of God. The only reason I tell you that is to let you know that no matter what valley of the shadow of whatever, even death, we walk through. There is someone who wants to be with you, closer to you, more real to you than you ever imagined. And it's not religion. It's a shepherd it's a relationship. Well, Beth Moore is one of the most gifted communicators I know, and she's talking about the mighty God. I want you to listen to her and welcome her. Would you welcome Beth Moore? met the neatest young man on my flight here. Uh, we were in the gate together in Houston uh, and visited for a little while. Um, on the, uh, and then we were in separate seats, of course, for the flight because I had lots and lots of studying to do. But I was so fascinated by him, a young speaker. I, I don't even know how old to tell you. I'd be surprised uh, if he was uh, anywhere near 30. But he was going to speak to middle school and high school students in this particular area. And he said something wonderful to me. He said, he said now, um, Beth, do you always know, do you always have your message ready when you go? And I said, you know, yes, yes because you know, I, do, I believe in preparation. Now, if he wants to go off-road, I want to go with him, but I don't, I, yes, I, I do. He said, well, I, I do sometimes. He said, a lot of times they'll ask me what I'm going to speak on, and I say, let me, let me get a feel for that group. He said, here's what I like to do. I just loved it. And I, I, I have to find the balance of how that works in my own life, but here's what he said. I just get full of the Word. I just make sure I'm full of the Word, and then when I go, I just open my mouth and see what comes out. Just one. <laughs> I, you know, there was a part of me that goes, why 
why do I even have any notes? <laughs> I want that to be me. I've been reading the scriptures. I just want to stand up there and open my mouth, but I'm afraid if I do, God will go, you know what, where's your notes? <laughs> You know what, Beth, there are some people I don't trust without notes, and you are her. <laughs> you are her. You get to keep your notes. That's what you get to do. I just loved it. His tongue was loosed. Now, I've got to show you another place. Go with me to Mark chapter 9. See this with me. Now, for some of you, this will be a familiar set of passages, but I ask you, let, do not let that cheat you of some of the enormity of what's going on here. Mark 9, I want to read 14 through 29, so a pretty long uh, set of uh, verses. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. Let me give you a little bit of background. Jesus has taken the three, um, Peter, James, and John, up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, they, they are seeing Christ transfigured while the rest of the disciples are down below there in the valley ministering. So I want you to get this picture of what's happening there. So when they start coming down, they see the great crowd and, and they see the other disciples and the scribes are arguing with them. And immediately it says in verse 15, all the crowd when they saw him were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. That's when they see Jesus. And he asked them, and he's talking about his um, disciples here, what are you arguing with them about? What are you arguing about with them, he says in verse 16. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Okay, this is really, really interesting, because if you'll check back, I won't take the time with you right now, but if you'll just write down um, the references of Mark 6, 7, and 13, Mark 6, 7, and 13, they were given the power and the authority to do exactly this. Now, they'll ask him later, what was that about? He'll talk to them about prayer and fasting, but that, those things were also an act of faith. Right here, he's ticked. And he says to them, look, look at it when he says, they could not cast him out. And he says in verse 19, he answered, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. How long am I to be with you? Because he knows he's almost out. And it's like, you're going to be on. I've given you authority to do certain things. I've given you power to do certain things. I said greater works than these because I'm going to my Father. Yeah. And you, you better get this together here because you're going to need to have your faith and do what you've been called to do. And in verse 20, it says, it says bring him here to me. In verse 20, they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his Father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And in verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, this is some of the most profound words in the Gospels, I believe, help my unbelief. I mean, I believe, but I don't believe. Please help me where I don't believe. 
Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Those are going to be important words to us. Never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, believing prayer. Why? Why, you faithful generation, did you not do what I called you to do? Now, I want you to see something because this is so important. God spoke a word to me as many as 10 years ago when I was working on a series called Believing God that completely uh, changed my life and changed my perspective because I began to look here at these passages, how these people who had been anointed, I mean, God chosen by Jesus to do exactly that could not do what they had been empowered by Jesus and commissioned by Jesus to do. Why? Why? I believe it was because they were arguing with the Pharisees and the scribes. I think they got in a big argument there, and the more they argued, the less faith they had. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because, and what God told me, and I've thought about this over and over again, never argue with the Pharisee. Never argue with the Pharisee. I mean, go to church with them, love them, serve with them. Do, do all manner of living with them. But when you get in an argument with a Pharisee about what Jesus is capable of doing, what will happen is they'll talk you right out of your faith. That which you have been commissioned and anointed to do, you suddenly will not be able to do. Why? Because a Pharisee has talked you out of it. You had faith going into it, but now you've had somebody say, well, I don't even really believe God does that anymore. Well, really? He's been doing it through me. But all of a sudden, like, now I can't do it because you have suggested to me that it's not anything God is doing anymore. Is anybody getting in this with me? Because this is so dangerous. This is so dangerous. Listen, the more we argue, when we get into a big debate, let, let's do have good conversations. Let's have good, have, let's have good dialogue. But don't argue with them. Because it may be that you walk away from them with the same amount of faith they have in what Jesus is capable of doing. This is scary. This is scary. Do not, look at your neighbor and say, do not argue with a Pharisee. Do not argue with a Pharisee. Listen, you and I are going to have to figure out how we're going to do this thing. Whether we are going to believe Jesus or whether we're going to believe the Pharisees around us. Everybody with religious spirits around us. What, what are we going to do with it? Because we could choose sophistication over a demonstration. Mm -hmm. We could choose dignity over epiphany. Uh, yes, we could. We could choose proper religious moderation over the miraculous. Anybody? Anybody? We could be so terrified of someone thinking we're a fruit loop that we bear no fruit. <laughs> Anybody? God's been talking to me about this. God's been talking to me about this because, you know, we're so afraid that I'm so aware that people think I'm a fruit loop. Well, as long as there is some fruit in my loop, so be it. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't mind being a loop if there's some fruit in it. I'm not going to be just riddled with fear because Pharisees are telling me, you can't do that. You can't do that. 
No, you cannot do that. No, you, well, wait, 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 wait. Because Jesus said he called me to do this. Jesus said he called me to do this. Jesus said he called me to do this. I want you to see this. Number four is this. Oftentimes, our raising up follows the thing that nearly killed us. Oftentimes, our raising up follows the thing that nearly killed us. This follows up. Three, Jesus knew firsthand what it was like to be a man. And four, oftentimes our raising up follows the very thing that nearly killed us. Now, Lord, give me the unction to be able to describe this well. I want you to see what happens here in the passage again, where it says that Jesus says to the spirit in verse 25, I command you, you mute and deaf spirit, come out of him and never enter him again. And after it comes out, notice in verse 26 that he just was laying there like, like a corpse. Now, he was not dead, but he looked dead. And so, you know, what you and I are looking for in our lives is for some never agains. Isn't that the truth? Things that have just harassed us and tormented us and what we really need over it is for Jesus to do a never again, never again, this thing. Would anybody just like that today? For God to do something where he goes, you know what, enough of this. I'm casting this out. I'm casting this away from you. Um, you demonic um, spirits that have oppressed my child and tormented my child long enough. I say never again, never again. But often for you and I to really receive the reality that I'm and get it into our belief system that God has done a never again, sometimes it will be because it nearly flat out killed us. I'm going to tell you something. When I began to break free from my self-destructive self, it was because my self-destructive self had nearly killed me. I finally became such a pain to myself. Anybody? Just a pain to myself. That I look back on that life. I was in Christ, but I was living in defeat. I look back, and it is so painful for me to look back on. Honestly, my freedom came out of something that nearly killed me. Nearly killed me. Have you had a near killing? Well, let there be a raising. Let there be a raising. Because out of that very thing, would some of us not say that out of that thing that nearly killed us, glory be to God because a new woman came forth. Glory be to God because a new man came forth from that thing that nearly killed us. So what happens? Mark 16, turn there to that verse real quickly. Mark 16, 19, and 20. This is where it wraps up. On the hands of Christ in the gospel of Mark. Now, do it for yourself. Do a study on it. You see it in Matthew 2. It's just fascinating to go see when Jesus uses his hands, what all is happening at the time. Here's the last reference to hands in it, and it's at the very end of the gospel of Mark, 16, 19, and 20. So then the Lord Jesus, after he'd spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Had been the extension of the hand of God. He ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God and they went out and preached everywhere. This is so cool. While the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. 
So what happens now is in our dispensation, yes, he stretches out his hands and does all sorts of things that we're not even a part of, but we are also to be the fleshing out of the hands of Christ. Our hands, I want you to get this with me today before we're done with our series. Our hands are empowered by Christ for all sorts of wonderful things. There's the laying on of hands that we would see in the early New Testament church. We think it's just like, touch. It's not just about touch. Something's going on. I'm not trying to get mystical with you here, but I mean, what we're hoping when we lay hands on someone and pray over them, or we lay hands on them and commission a missionary to the work God has given them, something a whole lot more powerful is happening than that we just as flesh and blood are touching somebody. We are hoping the Holy Spirit of the living God is slipping his power through us and that he is putting that mantle of authority on that person. There's a, listen, when we come to mentor someone and commission them out, Paul laying his hands on Timothy, it had substance to it. This wasn't just a high five here. No, no, this is like laying on of hands, lifting of holy hands. Now, I want to say this to you before we close because, listen, nothing closes me down in my worship like somebody telling me, all of you raise your hands. No, I am a hand lifter if you've ever met one. But here's the deal. If somebody tells me I have to, suddenly I have my hands become, my arms come like, become like ape arms. Anybody? The more someone tells me I have to raise my hands, I mean, I know that's embarrassing, but if, if, if they say everybody in the sanctuary, raise your hands, suddenly I've got weights on my hands. I can't even get them up. I mean, I do, but I'm like this. But to get to, let me get to. Don't make me. But when I get to, oh, there's freedom. Oh, there is freedom. Boy, that's good. Uh, you don't just have to be a Baptist to struggle like what Beth was talking about. Um, just think with me a minute. Because, you know, in our church, I go to Gateway. A lot of times, whoever's on the platform says, let's all raise our hands. And so help me, I almost feel like I'm under arrest. <laughs> I really wasn't, I really wouldn't want to raise my hands. I was kind of want to fall on my face. I was just kind of want to put my head down. And sometimes we can feel manipulated. And I try to tell, you know, those who are in leadership to let the Holy Spirit orchestrate, but it's okay, I understand. But I also understand what Beth was talking about. About, oh, why are you trying to get me to do this? But oh, when I get to, I still will always remember first time I came home and Randy was old enough to run down the hall and hear Daddy. And Randy was running down the hall. He's maybe right at two years old. Day, day, day. And I think, God, if we can just live, that's what Beth's saying. If we could just say, oh, God, not because it's the thing we do in our church. No, it's because I just, I just want to grab hold of you and exalt you. So that's what Beth's talking about. And there's great liberty in it, great freedom. And I know you know what I'm talking about. You know, I, I, a lot of times when you don't know that we're at church, I kind of step back and I watch you. <laughs> and I watch my wife worship God. That's what God wants for you. I'll tell you what you're going to see. You're going to see something 
That'll make you want to lift your hands to God because of what God's love through somebody like you did for a child's hands. Watch. This is such a significant moment. There is no water, no water for miles in this area that they could ever go to. No waterborne diseases is still one of the biggest killers of children in Africa. And now they have fresh, clean water. It's beautiful, clean water that will only bring them good health. This is about to change their lives forever. For thousands of people, mothers, fathers, sons, and daughters, the years of sickness and death caused by contaminated water are about to end at the hands of a young boy. A war against contaminated water has been won. Today, joy emanates from this field like this water springs from this earth. For these mothers, fathers, sons, and daughters have been liberated from a captivity that has held them from the time of their birth. But on other fields, much like this one, the war continues. Contaminated water oppresses, takes lives, and gives nothing back. The power to bring that to an end is now in your hands. And it really, really is. Betty, what do you think when you watch that as many times as we've been in those areas and then we've watched the miracle? There's nothing as I watched it again. And I, James is right, we've seen it many times. We've been there when that first flow of fresh water, pure clean water comes out of that spout. But as I watched him, my heart welled up within me because I, I remember those moments. And I think I've never been that thirsty that I couldn't just go freely get a drink of water. But these children, and then you see the faces of the mothers because they know what it'll, the difference it'll make. It might save their child just a fresh, clean cup of water that they can offer their children when they've done all they could do, but there was nothing more to do, James. But it just blessed my heart to watch that just then. And I feel like if you've ever helped us to build, drill the water wells, you feel the same way. Your heart just flows with joy with overcoming that you were able to be a part of what you just saw. You know, honey, I watch those, uh, those little faces standing there and I so appreciate our wonderful staff and our camera people. They're missionaries themselves, and they'll come in on a little child's face. And, and I look at those little faces, and I think, you know, I may never know you, but I love you. I love you. And um, I think there's so many children in the world that don't hardly even know what that means. But God is looking down at them, and he's saying, I love them so much. You remember his son said, when he was dying, beaten, hurting, exhausted, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm thirsty. 
what do we give him? Vinegar and gall. You know what we get to do? Every time we give those children, those little children that he says, I noticed and I love, we get to give them water. And every time we do, he said, you did it to me. I wanted it. You're doing it. And boy, I've been able to spend a lifetime seeking to share what he freely offers. I'm asking you today to touch someone with that love. He said, just give a cup of water in my name and oh, the joy unspeakable for doing it to those mothers, those families, those communities. I want you to go online. Just go to lifetoday.org. Go there, it's so easy. And make the gift God puts on your heart. Or if you, if you want to, you can dial the number. And take your bank card either way and, and use it like a check. But here's what you need to know. We are committed because of the direction of the missionaries and their heart to drill 500 more water wells this year. Could you drill one of them or part of one? They're $4,800. We've got some beautiful gifts to send you to say thank you. But you're giving the gift of life. You're showing them love. They get to see it, experience it. And you get to share it, release that river. Would you do it right now? Go online, use your bank card or dial the number. If you can give a well, $4,800, do it. You'll rejoice. we got a lot of people say, I'll make that a goal every year. We'll do it. If you give 1,200, pray three others join you, or 2,400, pray one joins you. But remember this, $48, 10 people, water the rest of their life. $144, 30 people water the rest of their life. Father, I pray everyone will move right now. Moved by your spirit, make the gift you put on their heart. In Jesus' name, thank you for making that gift. Thank you so much. Every day, millions of children are forced to make a dreadful choice. Drink filthy, polluted water filled with deadly disease or die from thirst. No child should ever be faced with this decision. The good news is there is a solution. Mission Water for Life is one of the most exciting and viable demonstrations of God's love in the world today. Suffering can end because clean water changes everything. With your gift today, we can establish and drill 500 water wells for remote villages in over 12 different nations. Your gift of $24 will help provide clean water for five people. A gift of $48 will help provide for 10 people. $72 will impact 15 people. And $144 will help provide fresh, clean, disease-free water for 30 people for a lifetime. With your gift, you'll receive the brand new Free To Be Me 40-Day Devotional where Betty shares the challenges, victories, and insights God gave her while struggling through fear and insecurity. You'll also receive Betty's book, Free To Be Me. With your gift of $100 or more, you may request Life's Inspirational Coffee Mug Set featuring encouraging quotes and scripture to brighten your mornings for years to come. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,200 to help provide water for 250 people or a gift of $4,800 to help sponsor a complete well and request this beautifully framed canvas print of the Forest Chapel by the painter of light, Thomas Kincaid. Please call, write, or make your gift online today. You will be blessed by what Betty shares in the devotions and her story. And this is the finest coffee cup I I just told the studio audience, if Starbucks had ever found this, they would have succeeded. I'm telling you. Listen to me. This is awesome. 
and it reminds you to pray. And then the Forest Chapel, which is hanging here in our studio, that beautiful painting by Kincaid, Painter of Light. We're sharing light and love. Thank you so much for helping us. Thank all of you for being here. Thank God for Beth Moore. God bless you. sure to visit stream.org, a rich and lively source for breaking news, analysis, and entertainment. Stream.org. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.